invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation. Revelation uh, chapter 13, we'll begin reading at verse 11 and we'll read uh, through the end of the chapter. One of the things that uh, we ought to appreciate about God's word is that it tells us the truth. It uh, doesn't sugarcoat things, it, it doesn't tell us things that aren't true, it doesn't uh, try to pretend that things uh, don't exist. Uh, it reminds us of what we can expect to face as Christians. And uh, certainly chapter 13 is one of those passages. We, we started this chapter last week and it, it deals with two beasts. And uh, we saw that these are the, the two agents or the two means by which Satan seeks to devour the church. Uh, the first beast, which we looked at uh, last Sunday morning, is godless, anti-Christian government. Uh, this is any government that is haughty, that is blasphemous, that is uh, uh, persecuting the people of God. And church history is filled with examples of this. Um, governments that have basically said, you need us. We will be your Messiah. We will take care of you. We will tell you what is right we will tell you what is best for you. Just do what we tell us to do. And so that's the first beast. Beast of uh, godless government that seeks to attack God's people. And this morning we're going to look at the second beast. And that's found in Revelation chapter 13 beginning at verse 11. John says that I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived." And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. I've mentioned uh, to you before a, a survey that Ligonier Ministries does uh, every couple years. They started doing this survey, I think, in 2014, and uh, it comes out every couple of years. It's called the State of Theology. And if you ever get a chance, just Google the state of theology. It's very interesting to uh, read what people think, what they believe, uh, especially what um, evangelical Christians believe on certain subjects. Uh, one of the statements in the, in the most recent survey that came out, I think last year in 2022, one of the statements was this. Religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth, agree or disagree. 
Religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. 60% of evangelical Christians agreed with that statement. That religious belief isn't about objective truth. It is instead about our personal opinions. In other words, it doesn't matter what we believe. In other words, it... uh, Doctrine isn't really all that important. Truth doesn't really matter. God would not agree with that. The Bible would not agree with that. The Christian faith is not a matter of personal opinion. Quite frankly, you shouldn't care what my opinion is on anything relating to theology. It's not a matter of personal opinion. It's a matter of objective truth. And we're going to see this morning in this second beast why objective truth is so very important. And we're going to look at this passage in three parts. First of all, there is the identity of the beast. Then there is the work of the beast. And then there is, of course, the one everyone wants to know what it is, and that is the mark of the beast. The identity of the beast, the work of the beast, the mark of the beast. So John looks, um, he sees a second beast. This beast is coming out of the earth. Now, remember, if you heard last Sunday, we saw that the first beast was coming out of the sea. Second beast is coming out of the earth. The earth and the sea. Kind of a reminder that there's, there's nowhere that you can go to escape the attacks of the dragon and his attempts to destroy and to devour the church. There's nowhere you can go to escape that. You can go to a red state and the dragon is still there. You can go to another country and the dragon is still there. You can live at any time in history and the dragon is still there. Now that's not to say that the the dragon is omnipresent like God is, but it is to say that the influence of the dragon is found everywhere we go, earth and sea. No matter where you live, no matter when you live, there will always be this spiritual battle. It's very important as Christians that we understand this. That all the way throughout history, all the way up to the second coming of Christ, the dragon will continue to use these two beasts to try to devour you and try to destroy the church. Now notice what John tells us about the appearance of this second beast. He He tells us in verse 11, this beast has two horns like a lamb, and it speaks like a dragon. Now, children, that's kind of strange, isn't it? It's kind of strange that um, these aren't two things that we would normally put together or associate with each other, a lamb and a dragon. But John tells us there's a sense in which this beast is like a lamb, but, but there's also a sense in which this beast is like a dragon, The point is, is that from from the outward appearance, from what we can see, this beast appears to be gentle, appears to be innocent, like a lamb. That's how we view lambs, right? These, These friendly, harmless little animals. Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as snow. Everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Children often have little stuffed lambs. So this beast seems to be rather harmless, rather innocent. But in reality, this beast is far from that. It speaks like a dragon. 
Now, what is this beast that appears to be innocent, appears to be harmless, but in reality is extremely dangerous? Very simply, this is the beast of false teaching. This is the beast of false religion. Later on in Revelation, John will refer to this beast as the false prophet, a false mouthpiece for God. So now we have the answer to the question that I began last week's sermon with. The question was, how does Satan try to devour you? How does he try to destroy you? Is it through Ouija boards and tarot cards and horoscopes and all those things that we associate with the dark arts? John would say no. The primary means by which Satan seeks to devour you is godless government and false teaching. That's it. Now now think about if, if you were the initial reader of this book, think about how this would have applied to those Christians living 2,000 years ago. You might know that Revelation was written at the end of the first century. During that time, the, the, the church faced the hostility of the Roman Empire. I, I mentioned to you, I think, last week what a, what a vile, wicked persecutor of the church that Nero was. And, and even after Nero died, even after he was killed, the, the three emperors who followed him were equally hostile to the church. And and it makes us wonder, why was that? Why why did the early church face such hostility? Why were they so persecuted? Why did the Roman Empire hate Christianity so much? Very simply, because Christianity says that there's only one God and that there's only one way to this one God, and that is through faith in the only Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, if you lived 2,000 years ago, if you were living in the Roman Empire when this book was written, you could practice pretty much whatever religion you wanted to practice. You could, you could practice Christianity. You could practice any other religion that you wanted as long as once a year you would go to the place where you had to do this, you would go and you would burn some incense to Caesar and you would say these words, Caesar is Lord and God. As long as you did that, once a year, you could do whatever you wanted to do. As long as you did that, you were, you were good to go. You could be a Christian, practice Christianity, but you had to, once a year, confess publicly, Caesar is Lord and God. But the early Christians wouldn't do that, just as you wouldn't do that. The early Christians refused to do that. The early Christians said, there is only one Lord, there is only one God, and it's not Caesar. And we know what happened to many Christians living at that time. We, we know that because of their refusal to embrace polytheism, which is the belief in many gods, and their refusal to confess that Caesar was Lord and God, many of them were put to death. Many of them were killed. Some of them were were killed by being placed in the skins of wild animals. And then wild dogs would come out and they would rip these Christians to pieces. Some of them were put to death by being set on fire. Some of them were put to death by being crucified. But but in this, you, you can see how the dragon was using both of these beasts, both that the persecution of godless government and false teaching or false worship to try to devour the church. We, we face a similar pressure today 
in our culture. You know, you know people won't say too much about your Christian faith as, as long as you agree that all religions are valid. As, as long as you will say, let's all just happily coexist and all, all roads lead to heaven, you won't be persecuted for being a Christian if you will say that. As long as we agree that, that people are free to do what they want to do, as long as we will say that, that people are free to marry whom they want to marry and identify however they want to identify, as long as we will do that, there won't be much pressure or persecution, which is, which is valid because you look at the mainline Protestant church today, the mainline Protestant church, whether it's the PCUSA or other, any other liberal denomination, faces very little persecution, very little ridicule, because those mainline liberal denominations will say, that's fine. Marry whom you want to marry. Be whoever you want to be. God doesn't care. But if we will not say that, if we will not confess that, we will face the hostility of this world. That the moment that we say we can't do that, we, we must speak God's truth. The moment we do that, we can expect the hostility of the government and also the hostility of false religion. And so that's who this beast is. God, or the dragon, uses false teaching and false religion to attempt to deceive you, to devour you, to destroy your witness. Notice, though, secondly, the work of the beast if you have your Bible open, you look at verses 12 through 15. And you'll notice some of the things that John says about the beast. He says the second beast um, exercises the authority of the first beast. The second beast makes people want to worship the first beast. The second beast performs great signs and wonders. The second beast deceives people. And the second beast puts to death those who don't worship the image of the first beast. Now, this is all pretty weird stuff if you're just reading this chapter. But, but it's here to tell us two things. All of this regarding the work of the second beast is saying two things to us this morning. Not just to Christians in the first century, but to you and to me living in 2023. The first thing it's telling us is that this is a sober warning about the danger of false teaching. It's a sober warning about the danger of false teaching. Throughout history, there have been those who who claimed to speak for God, who, who claimed to speak divine truth. But in reality, they've been instruments of the devil. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There are people who appear to be innocent. There are people who appear to, to love and to speak the truth, but instead speak lies, lies that are designed to destroy. 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul talks about false apostles, deceitful workmen, those who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And then he adds this, and no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. You see, Satan doesn't show up in a devil's outfit with a pitchfork and say to you, I'm the devil, 
I'm here to destroy you. That's not how he works. The Bible tells us that he comes masquerading, dressed up as an, an, an angel of light, one who is telling the truth. You know, some passages of the Bible are designed to comfort us, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Some passages are designed to assure us if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some passages are designed to encourage us and and to motivate us, where Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so there are passages that are designed to comfort us, to assure us, to encourage us, to motivate us, but there are also passages that are designed to warn us. And this is one of those passages. God is telling us here of the very real danger we face in regard to this second beast as he tries to lure us away, to deceive us, to destroy us, to devour us through false teaching. And in particular, he will try to corrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ. One man who knew this very well was Martin Luther. Martin Luther, in his commentary on the book of Galatians, writes this. He says, There is a clear and present danger that the devil may take away from us the pure doctrine of faith and may substitute for it the doctrines of works and of human traditions. That's what the devil wants to do. The devil wants to to move us off the gospel. He wants to, to turn Christianity either into a religion of do's and don'ts or he wants to make us soft on the truth. The devil seeks to move us off of the gospel, to move us off of the truth. And so Revelation 13 comes to every one of us this morning and it says to us, beware. Beware of the danger of false teaching. Beware of the destructive nature of false teaching. The history of the church and and the history of, of, of many Christian groups and Protestant groups has been that over time they have moved off of the truth. They have veered from the truth. They have put the gospel, relegated the gospel to the background. And now we see what has happened to many of those groups, that they have really moved away from Christianity. So that's the first warning, the first reason this is here. But secondly, this passage is also a reminder to us of of how anti-Christian governments and false religions often work hand in hand. Look at verse 12. It says the second beast exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So we see how these two beasts are working together. That the second beast is trying to get people to worship the first beast. I've already mentioned to you how this was true in the, in the first century, how in the Roman Empire the, the government and, and false religion worked together to try to get Christians to say Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. 
but it's true today as well. A couple of years ago, uh, reports came out that Kim Jong-un, who is the uh, supreme leader of North Korea, had started taking down um, pictures of his father and his grandfather. He, he, was, he was removing any images of those men to make it clear to his people in North Korea that he was now in charge. And, and he even started ordering North Korean officials to start promoting what he called Kim Jong-unism. In other words, his people are to give their ultimate devotion to him. False religion and godless governments often, very often, work hand in hand. And in our own day, this is true. In our own day, you and I are facing increasing, increasing pressure to, to dial down what we say, to, to, to draw back, to back down from what we may believe. Is it possible that in our lifetime, we could be arrested for a hate crime when we say that gay marriage is unbiblical? Is it possible that we could be arrested for a hate crime when we say that there are only two genders, male and female, and that's it? May we face jail time for those things? Possible. 25, 30 years ago, you would not have thought it possible. It certainly seems feasible today. So what are we to do? What are we to do as the, as the dragon tries to devour us through these two beasts? Well, first of all, it's important, and this, is, this relates to the second beast of false teaching. It's important to remember that just because a person claims to speak for Christianity doesn't mean that they do. Just, just because someone says, thus says the Lord, doesn't mean they are speaking for him. Just because a person uses the language of Christianity doesn't mean that they are faithful to the word of God. One example of this is Mormonism. Mormonism, or Mormons, talk about Jesus. Mormons talk about God. Mormons talk about the Bible. Mormons talk about salvation. But, but the Jesus that Mormons talk about isn't the Jesus of the Bible. He's the half-brother or the spirit brother of Luther or, or Lucifer. The, the God that they talk about is not the God of the Bible. The God that they talk about was once a man like we are. The salvation that they talk about is not salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The salvation that the Mormons talk about is something that you earn by your works. And that the Bible that they talk about is not the inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient word of God that we believe it to be. They say that the Book of Mormon is more accurate than the Bible. But the point is, is that just because a person uses Christian terminology, just because a person uses Christian lingo doesn't mean that they speak for God. The beast shows up looking very innocent, Children, he often looks like a little lamb. But in reality, he's been sent by the devil himself, and he is extremely dangerous. What this means for us, of course, is that it's vital that we know what we believe and why we believe it. It's vital that, that we be equipped for this battle with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
In 1 Peter, Peter even says that we are to prepare our minds for action. Now, I'm not saying that all of us should read Calvin's Institutes. I'm not saying that all of us have to memorize the Heidelberg Catechism. But I am saying this, don't just accept something as true because someone says it's true. Don't just accept that someone is speaking for God because they they claim that they're speaking for God. And, And this preparing ourselves for action, preparing our minds for action, preparing ourselves against the schemes of the second beast, that's one of the important aspects of this day. On Sunday nights, if you've been here on Sunday nights, you know that we're going through the Heidelberg Catechism. And, and, and tonight, we're going to look at Lord's Day 38, which, which deals with the fourth commandment, which, which says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And, and the catechism asks a question. And the, and the question is, what is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? And we're going to talk about this more tonight. But, but very briefly, part of the answer is this. God's will for me in the fourth commandment is that on the festive day of rest, that children, that means today, Sunday, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches. Now, that's not the only reason we're here. And that's not the only purpose for a sermon. But we are here to learn. We're not just here to check the box. We're not just here because, well, this is what we do on Sunday. The Catechism reminds us very helpfully that that we are here to learn. We are here to grow in our understanding of God's word so that we will love God more. I pray that all of us walk out of here every Sunday loving God more. We, We come here so that we will trust him more. We, we come here so that we will be encouraged to live for him in this world, knowing that we have the Spirit living in us. But we also come to prepare ourselves for the attacks of this second beast. You've heard the, the illustration about counterfeit money before. At the, the FBI, when they, when they train new agents to spot counterfeit money, they train them, first of all, in how to spot the real thing. And so a, a new FBI agent will, will handle the real stuff over and over and over, and, and they know the real stuff so well so that when the counterfeit stuff shows up, they, they say something's not right with this. Something's wrong. How well do we know the real stuff? How well do we know what we believe and why we believe it? It's crucial, isn't it, if we are to stand against the second beast. And so we have the identity of the beast, which is false teaching. We have the work of the beast, which is deceiving the world, making people view government as our God, as our Messiah. And there's one final thing, and that is the mark of the beast. Verse 16 tells us that the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the slave and the free, all are to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead with the mark of the beast. Now, you know as well as I do, throughout the years, people have talked a lot about this. What is the mark of the beast? Well, what's that going to be? Is it, is it some kind of tattoo that people get on their hand or their forehead? Is it a, is it a microchip that's placed in our hands? 
Maybe you'll have to get a barcode on your body someday. I came across an article this week on the internet that said that the, uh, the COVID vaccine or COVID passports might be the mark of the beast. All kinds of ideas throughout the years, but none of that's true. Remember, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature is to be interpreted symbolically. This isn't a, a literal mark that people will be given one day. You don't, you don't have to worry that your debit card might include the mark of the beast. We can better understand what this mark is by, by thinking about the first century use of the mark and by also remembering what we were told back in chapter 7. You see, in the first century, um, you, you would mark something to show that it belonged to you. A mark was a, a sign of ownership. And back in chapter 7, if, if you remember all the way back there, we saw that the 144,000 servants of God were marked on their foreheads. Remember what that was? that was? That was symbolic of the fact that all of God's people, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, belong to God. Well, now, here in chapter 13, there are those who receive the mark of the beast. This is not a literal mark anymore than the mark of the 144,000 was a literal mark. This is not a literal mark. This is symbolic that these people belong to Satan and to his kingdom. And so we were reminded of something that God said back in Genesis 3.15, that there would be enmity between the church and the world. There would be division between the church and the world. You have those who have been marked by God. You have those who have been marked by Satan. You have those who belong to God's kingdom. You have those who belong to Satan's kingdom. In addition, you'll notice here it says that, that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark of the beast. What is that about? Well, I think very simply it's a reminder that for us, for believers, this life will not be easy. This life will not be easy for those who don't belong to the kingdom of Satan. You know this to be true, don't you? This world is not our home. In, in, in many different ways, we feel out of place here. Our values are not the values of the world. Our priorities are not the priorities of the world. Our loves are not the loves of the world. By God's grace, we have a different mark upon us. God has marked us. He has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. What that means is that you won't find it easy to live here. We don't fit in here. If you seek to live for Christ, you will suffer in some way. And I think that's what this is getting at. Don't expect the world to love you. Don't expect life to be easy. Don't expect people to embrace you. I think as we approach the end, whenever that may be, I think that the opposition is going to increase. One of you um, sent me a text after last Sunday morning service. And you said to me, um, there may come a day when you're going to get arrested for preaching that message. And that may be true. That day may come. But we don't need to despair. We don't need to worry. We don't need to be anxious. We 
don't need to be anxious of, of what this life holds for us as Christians because God tells us something very wonderful in verse 18. He says, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now again, all through the years, so much effort has been spent trying to figure out what 666 means. And there are a lot of interesting theories. We're not going to look at them. But we so often make this book so much more difficult than it needs to be. We make this book so complicated. John tells us what we need to know about the number 666. Do you see what he says? It is the number of a man. All that means is that it's doomed to fail. Whatever the dragon uses... Whether the dragon is using godless politicians and wicked governments and and wicked false teachers, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, they're just men. I love what Psalm 118 says, 118 verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Christian, you you don't need to fear the dragon. You don't need to fear the government. You don't need to fear false teachers and false religions. You don't need to fear their mark. You've already been marked. When you were baptized, God placed his mark of ownership upon you. And when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, God marked you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, is the guarantee of our future inheritance. You don't need to fear the dragon. You don't need to fear his beasts. You've been marked by God. You belong to him. And so as we face the the attacks of this dragon, as we face face the, the, the devil's schemes and wiles, as he seeks to use government and, and false religion to destroy us, remember who you are. Remember you've been marked. Remember that you belong not to the kingdom of darkness, but to God's eternal.